Letter fifteen of Letters Written During Short Residence in Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amy Graymore. Letters Written During a Short Residence in Sweden, Norway, and Denmark by Mary Wollstonecroft. Letter fifteen. I left Christiana yesterday. The weather was not very fine and having been a little delayed on the road, I found that it was too late to go round, a couple of miles, to see the cascade near Friedrichstad, which I had determined to visit. Besides, as Friedrichstad is a fortress, it was necessary to arrive there before they shut the gate. The road along the river is very romantic, though the views are not grand, and the riches of Norway, its timber, float silently down the stream, often impeded in its course by islands and little cataracts, the offspring, as it were, of the great one I had frequently heard described. I found an excellent inn at Friedrichstad, and was gratified by the kind attention of the hostess, who, perceiving that my clothes were wet, took great pains procure me as a stranger every comfort for the night. It had rained very hard, and we passed the ferry in the dark without getting out of our carriage, which I think wrong, as the horses are sometimes unruly. Fatigue and melancholy, however, had made me regardless whether I went down or across the stream, and I did not know that I was wet before the hostess marked it. My imagination has never yet severed me from my griefs, and my mind has seldom been so free as to allow my body to be delicate. How I am altered by disappointment! When going to Lisbon, the elasticity of my mind was sufficient to ward off weariness, and my imagination still could dip her brush in the rainbow of fancy, and sketch futurity in glowing colors. Now—but let me talk of something else. Will you go with me to the cascade? The cross-road to it was rugged and dreary, and though a considerable extent of land was cultivated on all sides, yet the rocks were entirely bare, which surprised me as they were more on a level with the surface than any I had yet seen. On inquiry, however, I learnt that some years since a forest had been burnt. This appearance of desolation was beyond measure gloomy, inspiring emotions that sterility had never produced. Fires of this kind are occasioned by the wind suddenly rising when the farmers are burning roots of trees, stalks of beans, etc., with which they manure the ground. The devastation must, indeed, be terrible when this, literally speaking, wild fire runs along the forest, flying from top to top and crackling amongst the branches. The soil as well as the trees is swept away by the destructive torrent, and the country, despoiled of beauty and riches, is left to mourn for ages. Admiring as I do these noble forests, which seem to bid defiance to time, I looked with pain on the ridge of rocks that stretched far beyond my eye, formerly crowned with the most beautiful verdure. I have often mentioned the grandeur, but I feel myself unequal to the task of conveying an idea of the beauty and elegance of the scene, when the spiry tops of the pines are loaded with ripening seed, and the sun gives a glow to their light green tinge, which is changing into purple, one tree more or less advanced, contrasted with another. The profusion with which nature has decked them with pendant honors prevents all surprise at seeing in every crevice some sapling struggling for existence. 
Vast masses of stone are thus encircled, and roots torn up by the storms become a shelter for a young generation. The pine and fir woods, left entirely to nature, display an endless variety, and the paths in the woods are not entangled with fallen leaves, which are only interesting whilst they are fluttering between life and death. The grey, cobweb-like appearance of the aged pines is a much finer image of decay. The fibres whitening as they lose their moisture, imprisoned life seems to be stealing away. I cannot tell why, but death, under every form, appears to me like something getting free, to expand in, I know not what element. Nay, I feel that this conscious being must be as unfettered, have the wings of thought, before it can be happy. Reaching the cascade, or rather cataract, the roaring of which had a long time announced its vicinity, my soul was hurried by the falls into a new train of reflections. The impetuous dashing of the rebounding torrent from the dark cavities which mocked the exploring eye produced an equal activity in my mind. My thoughts started from earth to heaven, and I asked myself why I was chained to life in its misery. Still the tumultuous emotions this sublime object excited were pleasurable, and viewing it my soul rose with renewed dignity above its cares. Grasping at immortality, it seemed as impossible to stop the current of my thoughts as of the always varying, still the same, torrent before me. I stretched out my hand to eternity, bounding over the dark speck of life to come. We turned with regret from the cascade. On a little hill which commands the best view of it, several obelisks are erected to commemorate the visits of different kings. The appearance of the river above and below the falls is very picturesque, the ruggedness of the scenery disappearing as the torrent subsides into a peaceful stream. But I did not like to see a number of sawmills crowded together close to the cataracts. They destroyed the harmony of the prospect. The sight of a bridge erected across a deep valley at a little distance inspired very dissimilar sensations. It was most ingeniously supported by mass-like trunks, just stripped of their branches, and logs placed one across the other, produced an appearance equally light and firm, seeming almost to be built in the air when we were below it, the height taking from the magnitude of the supporting trees give them a slender, graceful look. There are two noble estates in this neighborhood, the proprietors of which seem to have caught more than their portion of the enterprising spirit that has gone abroad. Many agricultural experiments have been made, and the country appears better enclosed and cultivated. Yet the cottages had not the comfortable aspect of those I had observed near Moss and to the westward. Man is always debased by servitude of any description, and here the peasantry are not entirely free. Adieu. I almost forgot to tell you that I did not leave Norway without making some inquiries after the monsters said to have been seen in the northern sea. But though I conversed with several captains, I could not meet with one who had ever heard any traditional description of them, much less had any ocular demonstration of their existence. Till the fact is better ascertained, I should think the account of them ought to be torn out of our geographical grammars. End of Letter 15